Good afternoon and welcome to Letter to Philippi Live, our daily broadcast going through Paul's letter to the Philippians. So we are getting started here, just waiting for all of our streams to get going. And we are now live here at Letter to Philippi Live. My name is Sean Imsley. I am the teacher of this class and the founder of Letter to Philippi, a new Messianic Jewish theological teaching organization. And we're now up live on Facebook Live, Instagram Live, YouTube Live, Twitter Live, LinkedIn Live, our website, letter to philippi.org, and streaming live now on audio on AMP, our new audio-only service from Amazon. So we'll be getting started today looking at Philippians 2, verses 10 through 11, the final two verses of the Messianic Hymn, and uh, the concluding of this passage focusing on the, the coming reign of Messiah Yeshua, over all the cosmos. And we'll begin with a word of prayer. Then we'll be looking at Philippians 2, 10 through 11, the conclusion of the Messianic hymn, and the words about the coming of the Messiah for the second time is return to rule and reign over all, all of the cosmos. And we'll get started with a word of prayer, and we'll go into our study for today. Well, Lord, you're good. We thank you again for each day you've given us. For each day we have to look at your holy word, with the opportunity that we have these holy words to read, Lord, many are uh, unable to read these holy words. We have that opportunity, Lord. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that we know that in a world of chaos, you are a source of strength. You are a rock that we can depend upon. We continue to pray, Lord, for the end of the conflict in Ukraine, for Shalom to return to this land, Lord, for the end of the killing, the end of the suffering, the end of the, the death. And we call, Lord, for your hand to bring wholeness again to this land, Lord. We continue, Lord, to pray, Lord, that you will you will hold back the hands of the destroyers and to bring down those who seek to destroy the people of Ukraine to destroy this land, Lord. We know that you've brought down despots before. We continue, Lord, to call for you to pr- to bring down the the schemes of of Vladimir Putin and those in the Russian military that are seeking to destroy this land, Lord. We know that those tyrants have been consigned to the dustbin of history, Lord. We pray now, Lord, for Vladimir Putin to join them in the dustbin of history, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you that we have hope in this life and hope in the world to come because of Yeshua, our righteous Messiah. And in his holy name we pray. Amen. So again, welcome to Letter to Philippi Live. My name is Sean Imsley. I am your teacher for this class, and I'm the founder of Letter to Philippi, a new Messianic Jewish theological teaching organization. If you have any, any questions about Letter to Philippi, just go to our website, lettertophilippi.org. Quick sip of coffee to get started. And today we're going to be looking at the last two verses of the Messianic hymn, verses 10 and 11 of chapter 2 of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And we'll read it here. It reads that in the honor of the name given Yeshua, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Yeshua the Messiah is Adonai to the glory of God the Father. Let me read that again. That in honor of the name given Yeshua, Every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. 
and every tongue will acknowledge that Yeshua the Messiah is Adonai to the glory of God the Father. First, we're going to be looking at the phrase, every knee will bow and every tongue will acknowledge. In verses 10 and 11 of Philippians 2, we see an application of Isaiah 45.23. And we see here in these, these final verses that Paul is reflecting on and could, in essence, be, be giving a commentary on Isaiah 45.23, expanding upon the understanding of this verse from the writings of the prophet Isaiah and implying Isaiah's words to Yeshua, our righteous Messiah. So for context, we'll be looking at verse 22 and 25, 22 through 25 of Isaiah 45. And there we read, Look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, there is no other. In the name of myself I have sworn, for my mouth has rightly gone out a word that will not return, that to me every knee will bow, and every tongue will swear about me that only in Adonai are justice and strength. All who rage against him will come to him ashamed, but all the descendants of Israel will find justice and glory in Adonai. Let me read that again. This is Isaiah 45, verses 22 through 25. As we said, the Messianic hymn will be focusing on verse 23 of this passage. But to give it context, we'll be looking at verse 22 through 25. And again, we read, Look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, there is no other. In the name of myself I have sworn, my mouth has rightly gone out, a word that will not return, that to me every knee will bow, that every tongue will swear about me, that only in Adonai are justice and strength. All who rage against him will come to him ashamed, but all the descendants of Israel will find justice and glory in Adonai. This passage from Isaiah 45 is a monotheistic passage focusing on the God of Israel, the one God of Israel speaking here. The one, the one God of Israel is speaking here in this passage, Isaiah 45. Speaking of his rulership over all, Paul here applied this passage. It was clearly a monotheistic passage from the Tanakh, a passage speaking about the one God of Israel. Paul here applies his passage to Yeshua as an acknowledgement of the lordship of the Messiah, the lordship of Yeshua, our righteous Messiah. Paul here is expressly teaching the divine nature of the Messiah, the divine nature of Yeshua. And given Paul's belief in the unity of the God of Israel, grounded in the Shema, the core prayer of, of Judaism, this belief that there is only one God, the God of Israel that has been, been revealed to the Jewish people, Paul here is, is putting forward what, what uh, biblical scholar Larry Hurtado referred to as a binatarian monotheism. Monotheism is true. There's only one God. But in this understanding of God, there's, there's a binatarian aspect. There is the, the God of Israel, the Father, and Yeshua, righteous Messiah. There's one God, 
but he has made himself known in a binitarian or in two persons in the one God. Paul is expressing his understanding of Yeshua in union with the God of Israel and compelling this teaching on the people of Philippi and us reading these words nearly 2,000 years later. Given that Isaiah 45 clearly is about the one God of Israel, Paul uses Paul's use of Isaiah's language in this hymn referring to Yeshua makes clear that Yeshua bears the place of cosmic Lord in union with the Father. Whereas the Greek word kurios can be just a title of respect for a human, just sir, captain, admiral. The implication here is that Paul is making clear Paul here is making clear Turn off my ringer. Paul here is making clear that Yeshua stands within the understanding of the one God of Israel. Paul being clear that Yeshua is the one God of Israel, became part of the created order. In the words, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, we see an expansion of the rulership of Yeshua beyond Israel and the nations, but and moving to a universal cosmic scale where Yeshua's reign and rulership include the completed created order and the unseen spiritual world of the heavens and underworld. There are gods or spiritual powers throughout the created order. It may seem foreign to modern readers, but would have been common for those reading the letter in Philippi. Let me go back and look at this section. Paul here is making clear that Yeshua is the one God of Israel who became part of the created order. In the words, every knee will bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, we see an expansion of the rulership of the Yeshua beyond Israel and the nations, but to a universal cosmic scale where Yeshua reigns and rulership includes the complete created order and the unseen spiritual world of the heavens and underworld. There are gods or spiritual powers throughout the created order. They seem foreign to modern readers would have been commonplace for those reading the letter in Philippi. Greeks worship gods in the heavens, earth, sea, and underworld. Traditional Greek mythology also placed the shadow existence of departed souls in the underworld. Paul announces that whatever categories of beings there are, they must acknowledge Messiah's rule because he is exalted above them. One often bowed the knee in obeisance before a ruler or deity. And that comes from Keener's commentary on Philippians. Let me read it again. This is from Keener's commentary, the evangelical commentary on Philippians, where he wrote, Greeks worship gods in the heavens, earth, sea, and underworld. Traditional Greek mythology also placed a shadow existence of departed souls in the underworld. Paul announces that whatever categories of being there are, they must acknowledge Messiah's rule because he exalted above them. One often bowed the knee in obeisance before a ruler or a deity. That comes from Craig Keener's commentary on Philippians. 
According to the complete Jewish Bible, the three locations of heaven, heaven, earth, and the under earth, refer to the angelic, human, and demonic realms. And that comes, that comes from the complete Jewish study Bible. As we see in the command to have no other gods, in Exodus 20, verse 3, as an acknowledgement of the sole place of worship to be given to the one God of Israel, Paul radically teaches that Yeshua stands within the Israel's monotheistic faith and shares in the divine worship that belongs only to the one God of Israel. Speaking as an observant Jew who is cognizant that worship is reserved only for the one God of Israel, as seen in multiple references in the Tanakh and a sole teaching in Judaism, Paul nevertheless, nevertheless makes a clear assertion of Yeshua's divine status, a referring to every knee bowing to Yeshua at the end of days. Let me read that again. This, this is in powerful words. As we see in the command to have no other gods in Exodus 23 and throughout the teaching of the Tanakh, throughout the understanding of, in Judaism of the nature of of the worship of there's only one God who deserves worship, the one God of Israel. Paul radically teaches that Yeshua stands within Israel's monotheistic faith and shares in the divine worship that belongs only to the one God of Israel. Speaking as an observant Jew who is cognizant that worship is reserved only for the one God of Israel, as seen throughout the Tanakh, Paul nevertheless makes a clear assertion of Yeshua's divine status, are referring to every knee bowing to Yeshua at the end of days. Though it is Yeshua who receives the end of days acknowledgement of lordship, it is still to the glory of God the Father. There is a sense of subordination of Yeshua to the Father, though it is also clear that this subordination does not preclude the understanding that Paul holds the unity and equality of Yeshua with the Father. Ultimately, all of the created order will acknowledge the Lordship of Yeshua. Both Yeshua followers, both Yeshua followers who bend the knee with great joy and worship King Messiah, as well as non-followers, will bow in acknowledgement of Yeshua's place as King of Kings and Lord of the Lords. Some with joy, like me and other followers of Yeshua and some with sadness, but Yeshua will be recognized as Lord by all of creation, seen and unseen. Both the seen and unseen opponents of Yeshua and his followers will know and acknowledge Yeshua and vindicate the faith of Yeshua's followers who face persecution from these opponents. As all knees bow with the name given to Yeshua, the full acknowledgement of the Lordship of Yeshua over all creation will be clear. Paula Fredrickson, Pauline Scholar, saw in this verse that the whole created order, even the dark cosmic powers, bending the knee represent their turn to God and Yeshua at the end of days. Yet we can see a contrast in this understanding from Fredrickson in the verses from Isaiah 45, which states that although all will bow, it is only the faithful who stand justified, while the others are ashamed. 
this exaltation of Yeshua and universal bowing of the knees by the whole of the created order are directly related to Yeshua being faithful to the divine plan. Because of Yeshua's profound act of humility, accepting death on the Roman stake on the cross, all of the created order will bow to him and acknowledge him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Through this faithfulness of Yeshua, leading to his universal acknowledgement of lordship, Paul unites the suffering servant of Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12, and the bowing of the knees before the one God of Israel in Isaiah 45, 23. In the person of Yeshua, and according to James Ware, biblical scholar, he sees this coming together of these passages of the Isaiah 45 passage of the bowing of the knees and the Isaiah 53 passage of the suffering of the Messiah together in one person, Yeshua. And Ware wrote, the Messianic hymn thus reflects a connected reading of the latter part of Isaiah in which the eschatological reign, the end time reign of the God of Israel over the nations envisioned in Isaiah 45 it's understood as the outcome of the suffering and exaltation of the servant in Isaiah 53, identified with the crucified, risen, and glorified Messiah Yeshua. Next, we'll look at the phrase Yeshua the Messiah is Adonai. There's in verse 11, we see the prophetic word about a coming day when all the created order acknowledges the messiahship and universal lordship of Yeshua. Paul stresses the critical place that Yeshua plays as the one to whom the Philippians were to focus their worship in the context of Jewish monotheistic faith. There was only one God to whom reference was due, and this was the one God of Israel made manifest to Abraham and his descendants. The Greek word kurios, kurios or kurios, meaning Lord, which Dr. Stern translated as Adonai in this passage, is used over 6,000 times in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Tanakh, done by the rabbis of the early, early uh, part of, the, of the, the, before the Common Era period. In their translation of the of the Tetragrammaton, the unspoken name of the one God of Israel. So in the translation by the rabbis from the Hebrew to the Greek of the Septuagint, 6,000 times they use the word kurios, the Greek word kurios, for the, the Tetragrammaton, the unspoken name of the one God of Israel, the Yudhevavheh, or in Latin characters, YHWH or YHVH. So the rabbis under, used this word, kurios, to, to be the, the Greek translation for the, the, the Hebrew name of the one God of Israel, the unspoken name of the one God of Israel. So we see a connection here of this understanding of the name of the one God of Israel being connected to kurios. And here, in the passage, in the, in the missing human verse, verse 10, we have Yeshua being, being called Kurios, that he is, 
he is Messiah Yeshua. He is the Messiah Yeshua is Adonai. In the Greek, Greek that he is Kurios and the the Lord and and the Messiah. Use of the substitute name Kurios or Greek in Greek or Adonai in Hebrew is based on the Jewish tradition and practice grounded in the Talmud from Pesach King 50a, which will prohibit the pronunciation of the divine name as written in Hebrew. So this custom here of using a substitute name here, Kurios for Lord or Adonai, which, which also means Lord in Hebrew, as a substitute name for the unspoken name of God of Israel is based in the tradition in Jewish tradition coming from the Talmud and Pesachim 50a, which prohibit the pronunciation of the divine name, the unspoken name of the one God of Israel. Paul's use of Kurios in this passage for Yeshua is an affirmation of his deity and that the most widely used title for the one God of Israel, most common word used for the unspoken name of the one God of Israel, in the Tanakh, is now being applied to Yeshua. Here Paul unites Yeshua with the one God of Israel by declaring that Yeshua is Adonai. Yeshua is worthy of this worship because of his place as the bearer of the divine name and his position as Lord. It is as Lord and the one God of Israel that Yeshua is due worship and is the proper, and is the proper focus of prayer especially in the context of Paul's monotheism grounded in the Shema. It is as, let me just read this again. It is as the Lord and the one God of Israel, that Yeshua's due worship and as the proper focus of prayer, especially in the context of Paul's monotheism. In using Kurios to refer to Yeshua, Paul demonstrates what Paul Ferguson called radical Benetarianism a reimagining of Jewish monotheism that allowed for the one God of Israel to include both the Father and Yeshua, the divine Son. This reimagining of the oneness of the God of Israel highlights that at the core of Jewish monotheism is the devotion to the one God. Paul teaches the Father and now Yeshua are bearers of the divine name, showing that there's only one God as they share the one divine name of the God of Israel. In his three-volume Systematic Theology, Wolfhard Pannenberg, biblical scholar, wrote about how Yeshua finds his place within Jewish monotheism. And this is a quote from, from Pannenberg. Pannenberg wrote, The title Kurios implies the full deity of the Son. In the Confession of Thomas in John... Chapter 20, verse 28. The titles God and Lord are expressly set alongside one another. If the Son is not curious in competition with the Father, but in honor of the Father, the confession of Messiah Yeshua as the one and only curious in no way weakens the confession of the one God. The former confession is so related to the latter that all things proceed from the one God, the Father, but all are mediated through the one, Kurios. Let me read that again. The title Kurios 
implies the full deity of the Son. In the confession of Thomas in, in John 20, chapter, chapter 20, verse 28, the titles God and Lord are expressly set alongside one another. Yet the Son is not curious in competition with the Father. God and the Lord are expressly set alongside one another. The Son is not in competition with the Father, but in honor of the Father. The confession of Messiah Yeshua as the one and only Kurios in no way weakens the confession of the one God. The former confession is so related to the latter that all things received from the one God, the Father, but all are mediated through the one, Kurios. As the bearer of the divine name, Yeshua takes his place as sovereign over the created universe as the one to whom all the knees will bow and vow allegiance. The importance of Paul referring to Yeshua as Lord is making clear his place as the one ruler of all. And we read in biblical scholar Odin that Yeshua is Lord means that all alternative pretensions to power are finally reduced to nothingness. Yeshua is bearer of the name of the one God of Israel is not just as a God or a Lord. He, as the bearer of the divine name, reduces all other authorities, whether the gods of the nations or any worldly rulers, to nothingness. In this affirmation, Yeshua is the sole ruler of the cosmos and the only one who is worthy to receive worship in the bending of the knees, either voluntarily for followers of Yeshua or involuntarily for those who are not followers of Yeshua, either way, it will be Yeshua, the Messiah of Israel, the whole created order worships as the Lord of Lords, Kurios Kurion. One due allegiance, reference, and adoration. Not only is Yeshua declared as deity, but one God of Israel that came into the world, Yeshua is also acknowledged as the sovereign ruler of all. He is the sole God who is Lord of all, to whom all of the created order owes allegiance. Not only is Paul making a profound religious declaration, acknowledging Yeshua the Messiah is bearing the name of the one God of Israel, an essentially profound statement for an observant Jew. But in light of the Roman world of this time, Paul here makes an intense and dangerous political statement. Yeshua is Lord. And Nero is not Lord. Paul here contrasted a call to allegiance of the true Lord Yeshua in contrast to the expected allegiance of the false Lord Yeshua. And emphasized to the Philippians the cost of their faith in Yeshua. The declaration of Yeshua's lordship was a statement in direct defiance to the emperor's cult and the honor due to Nero as the Roman emperor. So we see here that, that in this acknowledgement of the lordship of, of Yeshua, not only was this an intense religious statement, especially coming from Paul, an observant Jew, to, to make the declaration that Yeshua is one with the one God of Israel. In the Roman world, it was also a dangerous political statement to say Yeshua is Lord, and by implication saying Nero is not Lord. But there was expectation people would understand and would acknowledge the emperor, Nero, as their lord and their savior. But in this, Paul is calling the people of Philippi to understand that 
Yeshua is their Lord, both in this world and in the world to come. And in their acknowledgement of Yeshua, they're making a political statement, along with making a, a religious statement, as I said, many of them coming from pagan backgrounds, to reject the gods of Rome, reject the gods of, of Greece, reject the, the various mystery cults, to embrace Yeshua as their Messiah and as their, their religious, one that they, they vow religious observance to. But they're also making a dangerous political statement also, that they acknowledge Yeshua as their Messiah and Lord, and not Nero as their Lord and Savior. What's easily lost in this focusing on the Yeshua's exaltation and worship as the cosmic Lord of, of the universe is the acknowledgement of his place as the Jewish Messiah. Much of Christian theology focuses solely on Yeshua as the cosmic Lord of the universe and Savior of the now multinational people of God, with recognition of his role as Jewish Messiah and Savior of the Jewish people, mainly relegated to apologetic or evangelical purposes. For example, citing Yeshua as the culmination of fulfillment of, of the Tanakh's Messianic prophecies when witnessing to Jewish people, or sometimes Yeshua is stripped of his, of his Jewish connection altogether. But Yeshua's place as the Jewish Messiah is intrinsic to his role as the cosmic Lord of all. Back here, was talking about the, that Yeshua's, Yeshua's Jewishness is, is lost in much of the teaching within the church. And basically, basically it, it can be used, as I said, in, in uh, apologetic or evangelist purposes, that it's important that Yeshua is the Jewish Messiah for the sake of fulfilling Messianic prophecies. But in the full understanding and leaf, living out of understanding who Yeshua is, sadly, his role as the Jewish Messiah, as the, the redeemer of the Jewish people, the one who fulfilled all the promises to Abraham and his descendants, can get lost as Yeshua becomes now with the introduction of, of the Gentile world into Yeshua faith, as the cosmic Lord of the universe, who may have one time been been Jewish and been the one to fulfill Jewish prophecies, but now his place as the Jewish Messiah is in his in integral role, his role that makes him worthy to be the one to be the cosmic Lord is lost in that his Jewishness and his place as the Jewish Messiah first and foremost can be lost in much of the teaching about Yeshua. As I said, his Jewishness and his fulfillment of Messianic prophecy can be used evangelistically and sharing with Jewish people. But the core understanding of the faith of, of, of much of those in the church, of them following the Jewish Messiah, can sadly be lost. Yeshua's most basic claim to being the cosmic Lord of all, the one to bear the name of the one God of Israel, is grounded in his first and foremost being the Messiah of Israel. As Sam Nadler wrote, the new covenant presents Yeshua as the Jewish Messiah. If he's not the Jewish Messiah, no one should believe in him because his credentials to be the savior of the world is based on his credentials as the Messiah of Israel. Let me read this again. These are words coming from, from uh, Rabbi Sam Nadler. 
he wrote, the new covenant presents Yeshua as the Jewish Messiah. We see this in John 1, 41 through 45 and throughout the Brichadashah. If he's not the Jewish Messiah, then no one should believe in him because the credentials to be the savior of the world is based on his credentials as the Messiah of Israel. Those words coming from Rabbi Sam Nadler. Yeshua is first and foremost the Jewish Messiah, the one to fulfill all of the Messianic prophecies and hopes of the Jewish people. The starting point of Yeshua's place as the Lord of all, the King of the cosmos, comes from his being the fulfillment of David's promise of an eternal heir to his throne. In fact, the greatest heir in the final Davidic king. As Messiah, the king, and savior of the Jewish people, Yeshua has a sole right to be the cosmic Lord over the whole created order, both seen and unseen. Let me read this again. This comes from Schreiner's commentary on the book of Hebrews, where he wrote, As Messiah, the king and savior of the Jewish people, Yeshua has the sole right to be the cosmic Lord over the whole of the created order, both seen and unseen. Yeshua's place, his right to be, his only right that he has to be the cosmic Lord of the universe, the savior of the world, is because, first and foremost, he was and is the Messiah of Israel. Yeshua, without being the Messiah of Israel, should be rejected. If he is not the Messiah of Israel, he is meaningless to the Gentiles. He's meaningless to the world. His sole place of being the one to be the savior of the world, the cosmic Lord of the universe, is that first and foremost, he is the Jewish Messiah. The right to rulership by Yeshua is grounded in his role fulfilling the promise made to Avraham, which said the Jewish people will be blessed as well as those people, the nations, who bless the Jewish people, as we see in Genesis 12.3. The Abrahamic promise, in turn, will be fulfilled in the promise to David of an eternal Messianic Davidic king who will ultimately reign over Jew and Gentile and the whole created order, both seen and unseen. Let me read that again. The promise to Abraham would be fulfilled in the promise to David of an eternal Messianic Davidic king who will ultimately reign over Jew and Gentile. In Romans 9, 4 through 5, Paul asserted God's plan in cultivating and loving the Jewish people through whom he bring the promise and reality of the Jewish Messiah. And we read here, this is Isaiah from Romans 9, 4 through 5, where Paul wrote, The people of Israel, they were made God's children. The Shekinah, the very glory of God has been with them. The covenants are theirs. Likewise, the giving of the Torah, the temple service, and the promises. The patriarchs are there, and from them, as far as his physical descent is concerned, came the Messiah, who is over all. Praise be unto I forever. Amen. The starting point for Yeshua to be the Savior of the cosmos and the cosmic Lord of the nations begins first with his prophetical fulfillment of the promises made to the Jewish people. God's love for the world that he created was extended out from Israel to the nations of the world. Paul further put forward 
that the ultimate fulfillment was Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah, the bearer initiator of the good news, which he, we see earlier in Paul's letter to Rome. We wrote of the Jewish priority of the good news, the extension to the Gentile world. In Romans 1.16, we read, the good news is God's powerful means of bringing salvation to everyone who keeps on trusting, to the Jew especially, but equally to the Gentile. Biblical scholar John Walverd helps to clarify the role of Yeshua in God's plan for redemption and divine universal rulership when he wrote, From the standpoint of God's divine election, Israel is the key. And through Israel, God was to fulfill his purposes, whether redemptive, political, or eschatological. So we see that in this acknowledgement of Yeshua as cosmic Lord of the universe, the one to which all knees will bow, those in the heavenlies, those on earth, and those under the earth, those from the angelic world, the world of humanity, and the demonic world, will one day acknowledge Yeshua the Messiah as Adonai, as the Lord of the universe. And his place as the Lord of the universe is first and form, form first and most importantly coming from his role as the Jewish Messiah. Only as the Jewish Messiah can he be the savior of the world and the cosmic Lord of the universe. And this is this is something that, that needs to be understood. That Yeshua cannot be separated from his place as the Messiah of Israel, as the Redeemer of Israel, through his redemptive work, the message of the God of Israel was spread throughout the whole world, and the nations were brought near to the God of Israel because of the Messiah of Israel. But first and form, first and most importantly, Yeshua is the Messiah of Israel. And the concluding part from, 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 from verse 11 is a phrase to the glory of God the Father. We've kind of covered some of this before, but we'll, this more will be a review here. God the Father grants to Yeshua the divine name. When Yeshua is declared to be Adonai, the Lord of all, Yeshua does not displace the Father, but now shares with him in the divine name. So in Yeshua being the one to bear the divine name, it's not a replacement of the Father. This is not some kind of supersession of Yeshua or like Morris and the other teachers who saw there being the, the evil God of the, of the Tanakh and the good God of the of the, of the New Testament. And here Yeshua is replacing the God of, of the Father, the God of, of Tanakh, the Tanakh. But in here, it's not a displacement, but a sharing of the divine name. This is not, as, as I said earlier, earlier, a cosmic coup on Yeshua's part. Yeshua somehow is taking over now. But there's one God who's made himself known as the Father, as Yeshua the Messiah, and as we've seen as the as the Rock of Adesh, the, the, the Holy Spirit, the, the one God of Israel has made himself known in these three persons. The worship and praise we offer to Yeshua as Lord is for the glory of God the Father. Rather than taking the place of God the Father in this closing line of the hymn, you see the acknowledgement that Yeshua receives the honor due only to the one God of Israel as he is one with the Father. 
this place of Yeshua is from the Father and not something taken by Yeshua in a cosmic coup or replacement of the God of the Tanakh. Yeshua here shares the divine name with the one God of Israel. The unspoken name of the one God of Israel is shared with Yeshua and is shared with the Rakhodesh. They all share within the na one name of the one God of Israel. As I said, this is, this is from the Father, not something taken by Yeshua, but he has granted the name above all names. His exaltation of Yeshua by the Father can be seen as relating to, to the, the vision of Daniel 7, which, uh, which Daniel Boren wrote about. In verse 9, we see that there are two thrones in Daniel 7, verse 9. One for the ancient days, God the Father, and one for the Son of Man, Yeshua the Messiah. Later in verse 13 and 14, the Ancient of Days grants eternal universal rulership to the Son of Man. In line with the exaltation of Yeshua by the Father, we read about here in Philippians. So in these, in these two verses, verse, verse 10 and 11 of, of, of Philippians 2, let me read that again and we'll, and we'll do a little review as we conclude our time today. But as, as we conclude the Messianic hymn, the song, the song to the Messiah, this early Messianic liturgical piece, focusing on Yeshua, our righteous Messiah, and his place of humbling to our world, living a life of humility, facing the death of a slave, and then to be super exalted, given the divine name, and given the eternal worship as the eternal ruler over all creation in the end of the days. We've seen in these six verses this whole this whole passage of the entry of the Messiah into the world and then his, his glorious return to rule and reign over all creation. And to read the verses again, verses 10 through 11 that we looked at today, that in honor of the name given Yeshua, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will acknowledge that Yeshua the Messiah is Adonai to the glory of God the Father. So in these concluding verses, we see the ultimate culmination of the exaltation of Yeshua as Messiah. Yeshua is the Messiah of Israel, and he is the cosmic Lord of the, of the universe, the cosmic Lord of the nations and the Messiah of Israel, and his place to be the cosmic Lord is only because he first and foremost is the Jewish Messiah, the Messiah of Israel, the one true Redeemer of Israel, who through his atoning work opened up the way for both Jew and Gentile to come to know the God of Israel fully through the atoning work of the Messiah. And when Messiah returns, we will see that every knee will acknowledge him with the seen and unseen world. It says the heavenly world, the angelic world, will acknowledge Yeshua as Messiah and King and cosmic Lord of the universe. Those who've lived on the earth, everyone who's, who's, who's lived on the, on the earth will acknowledge Yeshua as Messiah and Lord. And under the world, the demonic world, all, all, the, all the demons, all the evil powers, evil forces will eventually acknowledge that Yeshua is Lord of all. 
and we who are followers of Yeshua, Talmudim Yeshua, look forward to this day in great joy to bend the knee and bow before Yeshua, our righteous Redeemer. And sadly for those who have rejected Yeshua, they will also bow and acknowledge his place as, as causing the Lord, but with tears and sadness as they acknowledge that they had rejected the one who came to be their source of salvation. So we see this, that every knee will bow to acknowledge Yeshua, and he will be acknowledged as Adonai. The Messiah Yeshua is Adonai, will be the acknowledgement that all will make, all who have ever existed, both seen and unseen, both physical and, and non-physical, will acknowledge Yeshua is the one to bear the divine name, the one who is one with the one God of Israel, and it will be to Yeshua that all will acknowledge that he is Kurios. He is the, the Lord of all. And he is the Messiah of Israel, who is the one who is worthy of all praise, all glory, and all worship. But we see as in the concluding words of this of this section, it is to the glory of God the Father that this is not Yeshua replacing the Father. This is not some cosmic coup or replacement of the evil God of the Tanakh with the with the good God of the Brihad Shah, like Marcin and other false teachers put forward. That there was that they saw that there was an evil or vengeful God of the Tanakh, and there's the the good loving God of the Brihad Shah. Which Yeshua represents. Yeshua replaced that that God. This is not a cosmic coup. There is only one God, the one God of Israel, who made himself known as the Father, as Yeshua, righteous Messiah, and as the Rakhodesh. But in this, Yeshua shares the place of worship due only to the one God of Israel as the divine Messiah, as the Redeemer, and as the as the cosmic Lord. And his the worship due to Yeshua as Adonai is to the glory of God the Father. And this exaltation of Yeshua can be seen pre-visioned by the, the writings of Daniel and Daniel 7. The prophecy of, of the two thrones, the Ancient of Days throne and the Son of Man's throne, where the Ancient of Days grants eternal universal rulership to the Son of Man. In verses 13 and 14 of chapter 7 of Daniel, which is in line here with this exaltation of Yeshua by the Father that we see here in the Missing Hymn of Philippians chapter 2. So, in this Missing Hymn, this earliest piece of Messianic Jewish worship, this earliest piece of Messianic Jewish liturgy, think about this is this this could have been part of the of the daily and Shabbat worship, like there are our uh, Messianic Jewish liturgies of the day who use portions of this hymn as a part of the of the liturgy included included in the Elenu. We see here this earliest acknowledgement within the middle middle of the first century of the Common Era that the followers of Yeshua acknowledged Yeshua as the divine Messiah. This this was as I said, there are many people who believe this was an earlier written piece written from the Messianic community in Jerusalem, written in Aramaic, and Paul translating it here into Greek for the people in Philippi. 
So from the middle of the first century of the common era, we see a clear understanding of the divine nature of the Messiah. Over nearly 300 years before the church councils, where many scholars today believe that Yeshua was actually acknowledged and, and as, as divine later, nearly 300 years after this. But we see here from the, from the Messianic hymn, we can see a clear understanding of Yeshua being understood as one with the God of Israel early in the Messianic movement and as his place as the one God of Israel entered our world was understood, believed, and was was used in song and also in, in liturgy within the very prayers of the Messianic Jewish community, acknowledging Yeshua as the divine Messiah who humbly entered our world, lived a life of humility, died the death of a slave on the Roman cross, rose from the dead, was ascended to heaven, and will one day return to rule and reign over all of the cosmos on the day when every knee will bow and acknowledge Yeshua the Messiah as Adonai. May the day come soon when we see the Messiah return, the end of suffering, the end of death, and the beginning of unending Shabbat with Yeshua, the Messiah of Israel, ruling and reigning over all of the created order. In that day, when all the promises to the Jewish people will be finally fulfilled, with the Messiah of Israel ruling and reigning from Yerushalayim, the King of Israel return, the beginning of the world to come, the beginning of the unending Shabbat, when Yeshua the Messiah returns. And may that day come soon. So this concludes our study for today. This concludes our study looking at the Messianic hymn of Philippians 2, verse 11, verses 10 and 11 today. And we'll continue our study tomorrow with uh, looking at verse 12 of uh, Philippians 2, Paul's call to living the new life of Messiah. Now Paul has presented who Yeshua is. that He is the example of humility. He's the example of self-sacrifice. And he is the soon coming Lord of all creation. And Paul will continue in verse 12 now saying, in light of what, we, what we've learned about Yeshua, We've learned about the Messiah. Now we need to live our life, live a new life in the context of being a Talmud of Yeshua. That in following Yeshua, we will be able to, to live out this life. And we're called to live out this new life following the example of our master, Yeshua. And we'll, we'll be looking at that tomorrow in verse 12 of chapter 2 in our ongoing study here a letter to Philippi live on Paul's letter to the Philippians. Here from Letter to Philippi, a new Messian Jewish theological teaching organization. My name is Sean Inslee. I'm the founder of Letter to Philippi and the teacher of this class. If you have any, want any, any, any information on Letter to Philippi, go to letter2philippi.org. There you can watch past class videos. You can ask any questions you have about us. You can read our mission statement, find out what we're all about here at Letter to Philippi. You can leave prayer requests when we're praying for you. You can go to our giving link and make a contribution. We truly appreciate all your contributions. We are a nonprofit organization, 501c3 corporation, dependent on your giving. You know, we don't have any organizational sponsors at this time, 
We're large donors. We are dependent on those who watch our classes, read our materials, to give to our work and to keep this work going. We're now soon approaching our completion of our first year. We started on, started on April 12th of last year. So we're just about reaching our, our one-year anniversary of our work. And that will be in six days will be the one-year anniversary of the beginning of the work of Letter Philippi. And we started this class on June 1st of last year. So we'll soon be reaching the first anniversary of our daily class looking at the book of Philippians. So again, we'll be uh, coming with, out with information hopefully tomorrow on our our Seyedat Mashiach, our final observance of Passover on April 23rd at 4 p.m. Pacific time via Zoom, where we will be looking at the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and future reign of the Messiah Yeshua in a service to conclude Passover, a, a demonstration Seder focusing on the life of Yeshua. And basically, we'll be, we'll be going through, through a service basically following the, the uh, pattern of the Messianic hymn, looking first at the expectation of the Messiah coming to the world, Yeshua entering our world humbly as a baby, his life teaching Torah, his death on the Roman cross, his resurrection from the dead, conquering death and sin, his, his exaltation to heaven, and looking forward to his glorious return. And we'll have more information on that. That'll be on April 23rd at 4 p.m. on Zoom. We'll be doing a Seodot Mashiach, the Messiah's Feast. And we'll have more information on that tomorrow. Hopefully, I'll be working on the website today with all of the information. But thank you for watching. Again, if you want information, go to letter to philippi.org. We appreciate you watching. And uh, we will see you tomorrow as we continue our study in the book of Philippians, looking at Philippians 2, verse 12. As Paul calls the people of Philippi and us by example to live a new life in Messiah Yeshua. Again, tomorrow, here on Letter to Philippi Live, coming to you Monday through Friday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Phoenix Time, 2 p.m. Chicago Time, 3 p.m. Winter Park Time, 10 p.m. Jerusalem Time, and 10, 10 p.m. Johannesburg Time for those in. South Africa, and we come to you live on Facebook Live, Instagram Live, YouTube Live, Twitter Live, LinkedIn Live, on our website, letterdophilippi.org, on our, on our streaming page, and coming to you live on audio on AMP, the new audio service from Amazon. So you can watch us either on either live on video, you can watch it, listen to us live on audio, and we'll also have our uh, videos up on our website and also on YouTube. Go to our YouTube page and all of our videos are streamed and stored there. So thank you for watching. Have a good day. And we will see you tomorrow as we continue to look at, at the book of Philippians and continuing wanting to become more and more and more in the Messiah each day. As we've seen the Messiah will be exalted and glorified one day and acknowledged as King of Kings over all creation. We look forward to that day. We look forward to the coming of our Messiah. And we've looked at that today, that glorious day when Messiah Yeshua will come to rule and reign over all creation. 
Thank you for watching. Again, if you want any more information, go to letterdophilippi.org. Thank you for watching. Shalom. See you tomorrow here on Letter to Philippi Live.